Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Stars Like Us. I'm your host, Eliza Kelly. And today I am so excited to introduce you to Sabrina Monarch, an evolutionary astrologer. Sabrina is a sun in Aries, moon in Taurus, and a Pisces rising, which we were just musing on. We are recording this in Pisces season. I was sharing with Sabrina that I feel like my Capricorn rising is like doing its annual uh, having its annual reprieve where it actually is not front and center in my fucking life right now, which is kind of nice. Just playing, creating, contemplating, musing, Piscean, mermaiding, and it feels so aligned to talk to you. I know you through social media up until now exclusively. So I can say that like, I would put you in a presentation of Pisces rising energy and how it exudes your Pisces rising is like so beautiful and so inspiring to me and on social media is so captured. I really see you in this sort of Piscean essence. Um, but I'm also excited to get to know the Aries and Taurus parts of you too here. So thank you so much for being on Stars Like Us and for having this conversation. Thank you, Eliza. I'm really excited to be here. And definitely the Pisces is what people sense first. And I feel like when people know me for a longer period of time, the Aries comes through more. Or I think it's it's kind of about just like being excited about being oneself or, you know, being an entrepreneur, I feel like is a pretty fiery thing to do. Definitely. Yeah. I really love the relationship between Pisces and Aries. I I mean, they're neighbors. They are neighbors. They have to get to know each other. They need to have some familiarity in some capacity. And I think that there's a really have a, a really kind relationship between Pisces and Aries. Um, I feel like mm-hmm. Pi- where Pisces gets really defeated and feels really like, well, that's it for me, throwing in the towel. Aries is like, no, not yet. We got more stuff to do. And where Aries can be a bit of a bully, <laughs> Pisces is like, hey, <laughs> stop it. Like, be kind, you know, like, look what we just went through. You know, I can tell stories of this last cycle that are not so pretty. And Aries is like, okay, 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 I hear you. So I feel like a chart that has this Pisces-Aries balance might feel for the individual a little bit like a push and pull, but actually is they enhance each other really nicely. Yeah, that warms my heart to hear. I feel like there's this process of you know, Pisces may want to stay a little bit more hidden and or anonymous in some way. And Aries is like, here I am. And so there's kind of this like surrender into being an individual. Wow. Yes, totally. Like, okay, I'm going to show up in the world. We're just going to do the thing. We're just going to do it. And then a moon in Taurus is one of my favorite placements of all. I uh, really may perhaps idolize the moon in Taurus. It feels so grounded and so stable to me. And I guess my Pisces moon is like, wow, what would it be like to actually (laughs) eat food? Like that would be so nice. (laughs) But tell us, what does it mean to be an evolutionary astrologer? What is your journey? How did you get started in in this field and on this path that you're on? Wow. Yeah. So evolutionary astrology is looking at natal charts, you know, at a technical level from Pluto and the lunar nodes. It's looking at the soul's ongoing evolution And there's a lot of emphasis, I feel like, on process. Like, what are we drawn and allured to? What are our desires? And how do we move 
with our desires in this life. Like sometimes desire can get us kind of twisted up or we repress it or it comes out manipulative or coercive. And so learning how to be in right relationship with this primordial force that moves through us that wants to evolve essentially. So I think it's opened up a lot of meditations about the nature of attraction and the erotic really with Pluto. And my journey of getting into it is fairly wild in the sense that in 2012, during that Uranus-Pluto square. Yes, when the end of the world was well, one of the ends of the world. Yeah. And it kind of was. I mean, that <laughs> yeah. was like a portal or a wormhole for a lot of people. And I didn't know how to look at transits for myself. Like I relied on these online reports and I was under the impression that Jupiter was square my natal Mars which I don't know if at this point I would tune in so much to that particular transit, but at the moment, it was huge to me. I read this interpretation that said that a massive opportunity was going to come my way and that I should go out and do things and increase the avenues through which Jupiter might find me. It also warned me that I might make a disastrous error in judgment, take on more that I could handle. Um, but they're like, don't worry about it. <laughs> Go out and have fun. Jupiter transits, even hard ones, are nectar of the gods. So I lived every day as though something fabulous was about to happen. And sure enough, there was this one day where a series of intense synchronicities, like synchronicities were becoming so forceful at that time in my life that it felt like I was being rattled, like the universe was talking to me directly. And this was just another one of those incidents. It was my friend's birthday party. I got there late. There were no seats left at the table. I sit down to him and I wouldn't have talked to him had it not been for this woman to my right telling me that he's strange. He talks in accents. And so curious, I struck up a conversation with him, noticed he had a book, um, pile of books, one of them reading astrology. And one of these synchronicities was that I had dreamt of Jupiter that morning. And I'd also had this urge earlier in the day to look up moon opposite Pluto. And it said that, you know, such a person is intense, psychic, can extract information from others like a spy. This person should take care to engage earnestly with others. And I'm striking up this conversation with him, essentially just trying to get information from him. Like, why is he talking in an accent? Who is he? And when I asked him if he's into astrology, because I saw the book, he looks at me dead serious and says, I'm Jupiter. And it's like, okay. And that moment, the moon opposite Pluto thing flashed into my mind. And normally I would have just smiled and nodded. But because I read that thing earlier that day, I said, I dreamt of Jupiter this morning. Then we begin this epic friendship, turns into this romance kind of thing. He lives in a magical realm all of the time. And he was like an ex-spy. Serena, you are so <laughs> magical. I can't, I am like, I shook if with the magic here. The magic levels are, what do you mean he lives in an enchanted, is he just like a 12th house person through and through? Is like, what is a magical realm and a former spy mean? So, I mean, ex-CIA is what he wow. told me. I don't have proof of that, but I believe him. And I do have proof. I mean, I know he was ex-military at least. And just the way that he operated in space, he was kind of like a ninja. Like it was clear he, you know, um, but a lot of people were like, how do you know if he was a spy or not? It's like, I don't, I just believe it. But he had a religious background and then kind of broke away from that, but had, I guess, developed a practice of having a direct relationship with source, with God. And 
he didn't buy into, I guess, this conventional materialistic reality where we say that certain things, you know, coincidence. Um, I know you have that phrase and you're like, there's no coincidence, yeah. right? You know, he didn't buy into that. And he had experiences with like animals and animal totems and um, traveled through time in his dreams and was able to see the future or just kind of pick up on subtle things. Like he actually really validated and believed in like the unseen and lived his life according to that. And up until that point, I'd never met anyone who was all in like that. I'd always had these magical experiences. And when I would talk out loud about them to other people, they'd be like, that's interesting. What a coincidence. And then they'd brush it off. So it really awakened something in me to have this, you know, companion, but it turned into a, um, a spiritual awakening. And then I had these dreams of pure light and birds singing and this message to speak all the time without filter and it will set you free. And lo and behold, that earlier warning from the internet, you might make a disastrous error in judgment. I went ahead and spoke without filter to everyone and was having these, you know, I was suddenly psychic and telling people things I could see. I was telling my family a bunch of stuff about my spirituality and about our ancestors. And I was just like really unhinged. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was a big, you know, big choice to make. I was super all in. And my family thought that I was having a manic episode and had me see a psychiatrist. I quickly was diagnosed. And I essentially faked my way out of psychiatric attention, at, you know, thinking at night about all these spy stories that I had just heard um, and kind of learning these spycraft or applying the spycraft lessons I'd just learned that I wasn't anticipating I'd have to use. And in this period, it was a really dark time because I was afraid I would never have a good life, that I had experienced paradise and magic, and now I'm just sucked into this other world where I'm being told I have a brain disorder. What were you being diagnosed with? Bipolar 1. So my psychiatrist didn't believe in you know anything I'd experienced. It was just completely psychobabble at that point. And I could see that, but I was already, you know, I had said too much. So essentially it was like a very difficult, you know, moment. And I had reached out to an evolutionary astrologer for support because, I mean, I wasn't sure if I wanted to keep living. I was not sure if my life would ever get better. I was miserable intensely. And the reading was essentially a light at the end of the tunnel. And I ended up studying with this astrologer and studying the archetypes and learning about my karma through my natal chart and about Th these deep wisdom teachings of evolutionary astrology really helped me learn how to stay in touch with the magic that I had encountered, but be more responsible with it, like understand a true invitation to share psychic wisdom, understand what boundaries are in this reality, like Saturn lessons. How old were you during all of this? Was this pre-Saturn return? 21. Oh, wow. So like baby. Well, Saturn square. Yeah. I'm approaching my Saturn return. It hasn't, you know, gone exactly. So you're yet. still a baby. <laughs> I'm 28. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Saturn is going to be so interesting to see how the Saturn return actualizes after that really tremendous Saturn square. Yeah. I'm grateful for what happened because, you know, I got so deep into evolutionary astrology and now I teach it. And 
it's a way of life to me. Like astrology is this participatory thing and learning how to embody the chart and how to find, you know, our deepest challenges in the chart and through finding where it is in the chart, also imagining other ways to play out the placements so that we have a better experience. So in through evolutionary astrology, you were able to, if I'm understanding correctly, basically find the language and the tools and the the containers to yeah. have your practice formalized um, and also to sort of see the, the edges of those uh, studies, both learned and empirically sort of received. I guess it was like I was 22 when I started to embody mysticism more actively because I was, was so fervently uh, and an atheist. <laughs> and even though I was a really spooky bitch, I was like, you know, I, I have always been in my own way, you know, very skeptical of like monotheism, very skeptical of religion, very skeptical of the institutions of spaces, um, which then at the time made spirituality kind of just kind of like pop that in the mix of like, I don't want anyone telling me what to do, you know, um, which denied my own intuition. Ironically, uh, I wasn't even listening to myself. <laughs> That's how much I didn't want anyone to tell me what to do. And it was my Pluto crossing my ascendant that was mm. fundamentally this this tremendous multi-year transition from, I guess, Pluto in the 12th to self-destruction from the inside to starting to say, okay, I guess we're going to, we have to live with this. We have to put this in the first house now. Um, what does it mean to have to embody Pluto, you know, and to take mm -hmm. on those that Plutonian magic and instead of using it as this sort of nuclear device in one psyche to say, okay, well, that same that same chutzpah can now be used to apply to like the practice of magic, the practice of astrology. Yes. But it I, it was also it was a real multi year rock bottom, rock bottom, rock bottom. And then when you thought that you were like, damn, it, you can't get any lower. It was like, oh, no, you still got a few more miles. <laughs> um, and I am profoundly grateful for surviving that time in my life. I'm so fucking happy to be alive. I'm so happy to be alive every day because I really love life. But I really needed to to get to my wits end, I think which had been up at that point, my whole life was kind of edging on a rock bottom. And I really needed to sort of bottom out in order for me to Phoenix, be reborn, find astrology, trust my intuition. And I think it's really interesting that this telling the truth was part of your spiritual awakening. It was mine too. Um, and I tell my mm -hmm. clients that often when they start finding, it's almost like a truth serum when you, it's like you can't stop saying the things that are real. And then you start realizing how people don't actually want to hear what's real. And then learning yeah. how to like rein that in is really, it was, it was integral. I, wow. I was getting chills when you were talking about the rock bottoms and just going a few more miles in and just that amazing treasure that I feel like is found there where you love life and you're grateful to be alive. And 
Yeah, it, it really was a truth serum. And I was I was talking about how, you know, people don't know who I am because I'm a construction. Like my behaviors have been a series of seeking reward or avoid, avoiding punishment, which was this intense way that I put it at the time. But I was like, this isn't an authentic, you know, version of me. So when people were like, you seem different now, it's like, no, I've changed. I'm free. You never knew who I was. And of course that, you know, alarmed people greatly. It, I think it's really complicated, you know, like mental health and spirituality and spiritual awakenings are what, where does one begin and end? I mean, I think ultimately like the deciding variable has to be harm, you know, like are you causing harm to yourself? Are you causing harm, harm to others? In which case, intervention might be necessary, you know? Um, but there's also this, you know, I'm a, I'm Pisces moon, <laughs> right? I have Saturn in my 12th house. I have my outer planets in my 12th house. Mental health issues run in my family. I am the daughter of someone who's an addict and also undiagnosed bipolar. And it was very in my household growing up as my mother's only child I, there was no distinction between fantasy and reality and that really took a toll on me um because then i was so unequipped in my adult life to be able to manage my emotions you know and like manage yeah. what is really happening to me versus what is a an an imprint of what is happening to me. How is what I'm feeling versus what is actually happening? And it's still something I reconcile often, but I do think that I have sort of, through astrology, I feel like I've come up with like a kind of a rubric, if you will, of like, is this really happening to me? Or do I, am I really feeling something really bad? In which case, if I'm feeling something really bad, it's something really bad isn't really happening. You know, I can find containers to put these really bad feelings without destroying other things in the process. Just it's hard stuff. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like such a Pisces moon experience and like a kind of literal upbringing situation. It is. Yes. And for me, astrology also was my mirror. I had felt so depressed my whole life and struggled with staying alive, you know, in all different ways was trying to kill myself. I'm, I guess this episode might have a trigger warning at the beginning of it. But, you know, between eating disorders and sex addictions and just drug addictions, um, general m misery, I was very unhappy and couldn't figure out how to be myself until I actually saw myself in a birth chart and was like, oh, this is all natal. <laughs> like, this makes sense. And only in the reconciliation of seeing myself, seeing my eighth house stellium, seeing my Pisces moon, like, could I say, I'm not crazy for feeling these things. And if these are, yeah. this is who I am, then there has to be another side to it. And then that mm -hmm. was where the, I guess, I felt empowered to start owning my feelings, owning my sensitivities and start telling the truth. Instead of me holding in all of the truths and feeling like I was losing my mind, I was like, oh, no, it's you really don't like me or like you really are leaving or you really are fucking cheating on me and like calling shit out instead of internalizing it, you know. And at first yeah. it was like everything was horrible because the truth was really ugly. And then things started getting more beautiful because when I started to shift it into like 
if if the platform is truth, then everything can build on that, you know? Did you have a similar experience with your truth telling? Yeah, I mean, I had been subtly lying my whole life, but it wasn't intentional. Uh, like having the spy friend, it was such an intense mirror. Like I felt more seen than I'd ever felt in my life. And, you know, it was like a romantic kind of thing. And I had been yearning for that kind of romantic connection literally my whole life. And then I received it. And I think as a kid, the the way that I had lied was just behaving and following the rules and doing the things to basically make sure that my experience was easy and that I didn't have like any consequences or like privileges taken away. And there was a way that like having a lot of Pisces in my chart as well, like I had the experience throughout life of people projecting things onto me um, that weren't who I was, but I would just kind of let them do that. Like I wouldn't even fight or assert like, Hey, that's not how I experience my reality. I would just kind of contort to people's fantasies of me. Uh, and I didn't even really know I was doing it. It was like instinctual and kind of unconscious. And so I had this secret kind of private world. I, I, I wasn't voicing a lot of the things that I was experiencing because I felt like it would destroy people. Like I just felt like I was seeing things so deeply and I couldn't voice those things. Like sometimes I would want to kind of shake someone and be like, I see your karma. I see these patterns that you live out. And, you know, or I would make friends with someone and they would have this sad tale about how everyone in their life has this pattern. And then I would find myself on the verge of that pattern with them and realize that they are creating their suffering and I would try so hard to save them from that suffering by not playing out the same pattern. So I think I was just kind of like leaky and not really acknowledging, you know, my own truth um, and standing in that. And I was just kind of absorbing a lot of other people's stuff and kind of, yeah, just being subtly manipulative or just like not really grounded in my truth. And when I met this person, you know, I think that we're attracted to people oftentimes especially earlier in life, like who represent parts of ourselves that we haven't developed. And he was so firm in himself and so assertive and so like self-aware and also could see me. So I was suddenly being empowered by this really, you know, firm mirror to stand in my truth. And instead of just kind of having a balanced process around it, I antagonized my family. I was like mad at them. I would call them like crying. Like I was just like really going through this process. And I think, you know, looking back, it was like, you know, things happened the way that they happened. It wasn't diabolical. My family wasn't trying to control or suppress me, but that's how it felt at the time. Like I felt really victimized by my life. And so I acted out and then I got you know, contained basically through that psychiatric experience. Mm. What happened to this guy? We, um, our relationship played out. Basically, I had to move home and that was in a different state. He went across the country and I was like, please save me, get me a plane ticket. And he didn't. <laughs> and then we didn't talk for some time. And that was also part of why I felt so devastated during that time was like, not only did my family, you know, not really take the things that I was saying at the time seriously, because it was like, you know, they thought that I was just mentally ill and like, therefore my ideas weren't really being heard in a sense um, at that moment in time. And this person that I was in love with wasn't talking to me. So I was like, 
really rock bottomed out. But then, um, you know, our relationship rekindled and we were together for some time and then it ended, but it, it felt complete for me by the time it ended. And I'm really grateful for that relationship for all that I learned from it. Yeah. It sounds like one of those portal relationships as well. So one of the things that you had mentioned prior to us getting on these microphones and recording was some really interesting interpretations and explorations of Saturn. And I'm reminded of that now, especially when you say I was so I became sort of contained by basically becoming this sort of clinical case study of uh, a disorder, which feels very Saturn to me as like sort of being ringed something. (laughs) So I'm curious about your relationship with Saturn and your musings on it, considering your Saturn square was such confinement for you. Pathologized, that's the word I was looking for. Yeah, I love that question. I I learned that Saturn relates to structure and that there's this difference between patriarchal or conditioned societal institutional structure and like the structure that you find in nature or in a forest um, or in the psyche, that there's like a deeper side of Saturn or that Saturn could even be genderless, that you could have a feminine version of Saturn, like that Saturn is actually more mysterious. Um, And working with like figuring out, okay, what is the structure of this reality? Like how does a dream or a vision turn into a manifest physical thing? And so I studied a lot of um, like law of attraction and kind of manifestation teachings at the same time I was learning about Saturn. And I noticed this interesting correlation where karma and Saturn talk about things that crystallize over time, that if we do something over and over again, it becomes this pattern that then takes on a kind of life. And similarly with um, manifestation, like one of the teachings that I really have taken to heart is this idea that instead of reacting to what's happening already and like forming emotional responses to just what's manifest to create emotions and feelings on purpose. So pretend that life is great, find things to be happy about, find ways to connect with uplifted feelings. And then by doing that, manifest more circumstances that reflect that state of emotional being. So I started to see like positive mental and emotional habits as a kind of currency, like really similar to wealth, where it's like, if I can feel good today, then that's going to add up over time into a good life. So I started to learn how to cheer myself up, how to create happiness in like a Saturnian sustained, even disciplined way. Like when I first started this, I really had, you know, years of depression to unwind. So instead of um, feeling my feelings, which now I'm better at doing, I would pull myself and like snap out of it and choose like a higher state, which Now, you know, that was a compensation for all of the depression I'd built up. But now that I have a steadier, you know, moon and Taurus emotional life, it is good to also like go into emotions and actually feel things deeply. But 
it was, it's been interesting to kind of see how the matrix of this reality glitches when we change our consciousness from within. That's kind of one of the promises of evolutionary astrology is this as within, so without maxim that I feel like is really highlighted with Pluto, similar to as above, so below, but a sense that, you know, we have all these mirror reflections of ourselves in our life. And the Saturn part is just that it takes time to manifest. So it's starting to detach from being reactive to reality and choosing to, I guess, be sovereign emotionally as much as possible and use that like positive emotionality to perpetuate different karmas. I love that. And I, I, it's interesting because I use Saturn all the time as a mile, a, a manifestation milestone. And I look for it in marriage charts. I look for it in sinistry. I look for it in any commitment. We want to see Saturn present because that's how it solidifies and formalizes and locks in um, and says, okay, you know, I even see transits to Saturn as sort of this, you know, it's kind of like you're you're coming in with your your work, you know, you've per, whatever planet has gone on its orbit for however whatever duration it has. And it's like amassed all of this wisdom and thoughts and theories. And it's like put a nice presentation together. And it's basically like turning it into a teacher and being like, is it good? And then Saturn oh, is like, oh, God. yeah, I guess you can. Or if it's like, no, you really you you messed up here or like you tried to rush through these parts like I need you to rewrite it. I need you to go again you got to go again. <laughs> you got to show your work and bring it back to Saturn. But I I really appreciate Saturn. I appreciate Saturn very deeply. And what I have found in, especially in particular in my Saturn return, but just Saturn as, you know, a wise entity um, is the wisdom of time and time being so time offering so much depth that in any given moment we do not have access to. And so many of the things that caused me such grief when I was younger, in that moment, in that container of that experience, of course it caused me grief. But then time and the teacher of time, I can look back and be like, you were never going to be with this person. This person only wants to date 19 year olds, you know, like you are one of many 19 year olds who are in that situation. But at the time I was the only one, you know, I felt the teacher of time of like, you know, people who you are, you envy them, you envy where they are in the world, what they're creating only to through time see that so much of their structure was not built to last for whatever reason. And how, you know, how uh, wonderful the universe is for not giving me that person's journey and not burning me out then so that I can continue to do all of these amazing things now, mm -hmm. you know. And it's not just a comparison thing, but I do feel like a lot of teenage, adolescent, youthful grief is very circumstantial. And it's, it is existential, but it's existential of like, this is all it is right now. But as you get older, through the kind guidance of Saturn, it just, there's more to perspective, you know, and the perspective component of Saturn, I think is often overlooked with that planet. That's so beautiful. I was again, getting like full body chills um, when you were talking about time and things that occur to us over time. It's so hard, you know, in the moment. I've always been so sensitive to time. You know, I loved the Wizard of Oz as a kid. 
And I really feel like I have a a sand dial sort of impressed in my psyche. Um, and I think, ironically, getting older has made me more appreciative and less terrified of the sand dial than when I was younger. I love that. <laughs> yeah, that insight too, just about early grief and the sense of it being, it's kind of like all your perspective at the time, like your whole life has led up to that moment. And that's kind of how it feels. And I remember in the throes of my deepest griefs in my earlier life, the older people that I would talk to would reassure me that it would get better, that this was, you know, that time heals. And I, I couldn't understand. I was like thrashing against the, the limitation of the moment. And then in retrospect, it's like, wow, like that took me four or five years to process, but I get it now. And it's humbling. Yeah. And the challenge is tenacity. You know, it, I watch these, I love music documentaries and, um, I have not been able, I've complete. I've had to really stop watching a lot of things because, um, I have, you know, anxiety problems. And as I've unfortunately come to realize most movies and television shows amplify it and don't help mm -hmm. it. So I've had to kind of like basically turn all of my content consumption into nature documentaries and music documentaries. And it's fine, but it just is what it is. <laughs> and in these <laughs> music documentaries, they often are sad and make me cry because, you know, people die. Um, I was watching the Janis Joplin one recently for a second time. And the first time I saw it was when it came out in 2015. And I was younger than Janis Joplin was when she died at 27. And now I watched it again and I'm older. And it's interesting to even see the, from a 25-year-old perspective, I was like, damn, her life was hard. Like nobody loved her. Sad. And now from the perspective of myself in my early 30s, I'm like, it's really sad that she couldn't make it further. You know, she would have been okay. And that is heartbreaking. But also that is mm -hmm. kind of the, um, that is what it takes, I think, sometimes is just to keep pushing and to find that resilience and to have to, even if you are for, I guess, our, our younger listeners, you know, if everything feels like it's cascading and collapsing on you. It is, but keep going still because it yeah. you will get more perspective through time and it's worth continuing to fight through it. Completely. So another question for you is how in evolutionary astrology are the nodes interpreted? The way that I've come to understand it like it's unfolded a lot through sitting with them and meditating with them. And I'm really fascinated by planets squaring the nodes in particular, but generally the South node is your, um, the kind of habits of your ego structures in the past. So Pluto is the incarnate desire, like what is really compelling and driving you to exist and to keep coming back to earth. And the South node is like the vehicle through which that has tended to be accomplished. And the North node is going to be complementary. You know, it's literally the opposite sign and house ego structures or personality things to develop that can round out the intensity of the soul's inertia from the past. The nodes really strike me as personality features. Like they are circumstances, but our, our personality and circumstances are related. So an example that I often use is like Aries South node. So this could be someone who 
you know, their personality structures kind of relate to the warrior archetype and a neutral circumstance could occur, but because they're a fighter, they get defensive and they create an altercation where there, it was just a neutral thing. And now it really is a fight because they tinted it as such with their perception and their emotional habits. And now, you know, now they do have to fight because they made one. And it's like learning the South Node can have this energy to it of the law of diminishing returns. I think it is often something we really desire. Like I have South Node in Cancer. So I, you know, family and feeling close and connected and like all the, um, the home life kind of stuff touches me. And I've had to go to Capricorn to enhance my relationship with cancer. So learning about structure and boundaries and about responsibility, you know, and then you can look to the planetary rulers of the nodes for more information. So for me, it's like been Capricorn North Node as well as Saturn and Aquarius. And so meditating on what Saturn and Aquarius means of like, oh, I should have an online business or create an online community, like was kind of a focus point for me to imagine how to live out my chart. So I think that the North Node can be this like experiential pull or draw towards some kind of personal expansion past previous limitations. And then if you have a planet square the nodes, that's like gets more complex where instead of having this simple South Node to North Node trajectory, there's actually been a vacillation between the extremes of the nodes. That fascinates me a lot because you see these like weather patterns between extremes. So like Leo and Aquarius nodes squared is one that I think a lot about where it's like you have someone that has a hot and cold pattern where they're so warm and loving and romantic in Leo. And then suddenly they're like detached and like far out with Aquarius. And that can relate to, you know, having been in love, feeling really like involved in one's personal vision of how life is supposed to go in Leo. And then something shocking or traumatic happening, Aquarius feeling disassociated, you know, going out I think of this image for Leo and Aquarius nodes as like being in the game in Leo or being on the bench watching the game in Aquarius. I'm I'm so curious about what you think on this because I have my south node is exactly conjunct my sun in Leo at 25 oh. degrees in the eighth house, uh, which is also where my stellium is. But I was born on the eclipse, uh, on a lunar eclipse. And yeah, I have an exact south node sun conjunction and it's a south node in Leo. So it's reporting to the sun. You know, I've been studying astrology for so many years now. I I actually you know what? It's not even that I have some reconciliation of it. It's more like I've kind of just tabled it because I'm like, I just can't. I don't. It's too it's too nuanced and too complicated and too much ego. I think I don't have enough perspective because my ego is too involved in this for me to be able to really understand how uh, a South Node Sun Leo 25 degree conjunction with the North Node in Aquarius is going to aid my journey. (laughs) Do you have any squares to your nodes? Uh, I have, well, my Pluto is in Scorpio, but it's uh, not in orb. It's at 12 degrees. So other than that, no, I don't have any late degree planetary squares. Sometimes I use wide orbs. And <laughs> well, like when if, I get if we use a 12, wide orb, then Pluto's there too. And my 10th house conjunct my midheaven. In that case, it would be resolved through Leo. It's resolved through the node it lasts me to conjunction with. 
And I think that even just like that you are a creative, that you're an astrologer, you have that Leo Aquarius axis, but like you create, you know, your own stuff and you have this show where you invite in other people and you ask people questions, which is more of the Aquarius side. Like Aquarius is totally the cerebral, the interviewer, the person who draws out the light in others. And Leo is the performer and the one that shines. So it's possible that you have developed both nodes in prior lives or, you know, have developed them both in this life too. And I feel like they do um, complement each other. Like, and so moving into the Aquarius side is, um, is about community and networking and being in connection with a lot of people and bringing your light, like bringing your persona into it. I feel like that's kind of the medicine with Aquarius Leo is like, bringing yourself into the equation and then also being like feeling how we change and our persona develops because of our relationships and our connections. Yeah. I, I'm comforted to hear you say that. I think that my philosophy, uh, that is not mine at all, but actually like ancient Greek is, you know, do no harm. Right. That's like the word that is the, the ethos that I'm really trying to live by, not for any reason other than you know, if something makes me feel horrible, I don't want to do it. <laughs> I don't want to know about it. And I don't having a chart that is so, uh, you know, prickly with my sun and south node conjunction and my eighth house stellium and my 12th house stellium and Pluto on my midheaven. I've had a lot of maybe less responsible or maybe more, I don't know, uh, fatalistic astrologers be like, "Ooh, this is a horrible chart. You're going to die all of these different deaths. And, you know, you are oh a God. greedy <laughs> mobster person. And I'm like, I really like hate that. And I don't, that doesn't want to keep me alive. So the South Node is this place of misery. I can't, I can't buy it because yeah, because yeah, it's on my son. And like, that's, I can't live in a, a with a philosophy that the thing that's on my son is the worst thing in the world, because then how am I supposed to live my life? You know? Totally. I love the nodes. And I mean, they do, they can have an edge in certain mythologies. And I think it's provocative and can be interesting to consider it that way. But at Norwalk one year, Mark Jones talked about the South Node as a suitcase that you bring with you on a plane. Like, and there may be some useful shit in there. Totally. <laughs> like you don't want to just ditch the suitcase. And like a lot of people's gifts, you know, are carried in the South Node. And so maybe you've also had like a, a comfortability with, you know, being on the stage or being in the spotlight because of that South Node Sun Leo connection. Yeah, I, I feel like and what I love about your it seems like the way that you explore astrology and create language for it is in a way that is going to enhance someone's experience, not in a way that is going to be destructive to someone's experience. And that is, to me, it's like, it doesn't matter what you, if you call it modern, evolutionary, Hellenistic, Uranian, it's about how it ultimately is improving one's life. And if it is causing yeah. more harm than help, change the approach. <laughs> it's because it's not working. Yeah, I'm, I'm really passionate about that. I think about astrology as being livable. 
and about, you know, besides astrology, like I'm really interested in personal development and mysticism. I have um, this kind of clairvoyance that has developed that came from that spiritual awakening, but I see these little sparkles of light that help guide me when I'm writing and they, they appear around resonant or loving thoughts. So they've really helped me kind of tune a channel. Like I'm just interested in like living a great life and being happy and having adventures and loving and connecting and astrology can be a tool for that. And if astrology is creating a, um, a kind of like sore spot in my mind where energy is getting kind of like knotted up because I've internalized a belief about myself that makes me feel bad about myself or limits me, you know, that's not like astrology doesn't inherently hold that information. Like that's our interpretation of the astrology. So I think astrology as a practice is really about, you know, figuring out where we get knotted up mentally about it. Totally. Like if we have a transit and we're all scared, like then we have work to do on the way that we're perceiving the transit. Beautiful. I really love that. And I think that that is actually like a functional tool that people can use is like if you are transit tripping and freaking out about something happening in your chart, like why? You know, that's information. I mean, that having Uranus on my uh, I see right now, I really appreciate that perspective too, because it happens to the best of us, uh, of course, you yeah. know, to sort of become, get really anxious and having those spiral thoughts about the worst case scenario of something. But what I have found uh, through time is that transits really happen. You know, they really do things, but they rarely do things in the way you anticipate. Right. And I guess that's the Saturn stuff is like, you need the, you need the wisdom to get to, you need to get to the other side. You need to get through the transit in order to know the journey of the transit, which is why, and I don't know what degree your um, Saturn is, but even when I'm working with clients and, you know, let's say they have a 18 degree Saturn and Aquarius. And they're like, what's my Saturn return going to be like? And I'm like, we're not there yet. We don't know. We're starting to get some flavor, maybe through Jupiter, picking up on a little bit of a vibe, but we won't know until we're there. And then we really won't know until we're on the other side. I think it can be too, like the relationship that we have with the planet. I really think of the astrology as participatory. Like I believe that we can talk to the planets and ask them questions and ask them to show us things in dreams. And that they're kind of like, you know, clock patterns and they're picking up on stories. So if we live, if we do our best to live a good life, we like care about our integrity and our ethics and we develop parts of ourselves and we develop our relationships. Like if we just apply ourselves toward living well, the planets collect that resonance. And then when a transit comes, it has that storyline that it's picking up from. Yes. And in a given transit, like let's say, um, I guess like I think of it like the weather and let's say it's raining outside and we could not know about the rain and go out and just get drenched and you know a car drives by and like sweeps a bunch of water on us and we're just having the worst day and that's how we're reacting to the transit or we could have rain boots and an umbrella or a coat and react to the transit or participate with the transit in that way 
or we could literally go outside, spread our arms open and like tilt our head <laughs> toward the heavens and just like let ourselves be rained on and just have this ecstatic experience. And that's a part just a possible way to participate as well. And I think really imagining, okay, this is the the energy. How can I play with this? What kinds of activities can I do to give this planet a container? If I'm having a Mars transit, you know, maybe I need to sweat or like do something that's like really like high impact. Totally. Yeah. And like, let's, and play with them in that you don't know how it's going to unfold. So just like how your horoscope or this astrology report that you read all these moons ago was like, make yourself open to channels where Jupiter can reach you. You know, I really invite people to be alive, even when we are in our home in the midst of a global pandemic. Um, there's plenty of space to still be alive and to invite possibilities and to invite potential. Um, but I do think that sitting around and waiting for lightning to strike is also a waste of time, you know, instead of being like, okay, I'm supposed to have a transit on this day and then being like, nothing happened. It's like, well, did you fucking leave your house? Like, did you look outside? Did you put yourself in any position where you could have received it? And if not, then you might have missed that transit because you didn't open any portal for it to come and reach you. So it, it participation is absolutely imperative both in terms of redirecting where the transit can, how you can see it. And then also, so you see it at all because you're not right. going to, you're not even going to know it's raining if your windows are closed and your curtains are shut, you know? Yeah. It's kind of like purpose or Dharma. The way that people talk about it is like, it's there for you. It's, it's encoded in you and in the universe, but you still have to show up for it or it won't really happen. Right. And it's, and I think that that's a metaphor for being alive in any capacity is you, it can't be something that it has to be active and passive uh, when as a decision, you know, it when, when passive, that needs to be conscious, when active, that needs to be conscious, but th there needs to always be consciousness surrounding the decisions that are being made in order to be able to receive the full experience that is our charts and the full experience that is a human lifetime. Right. Well, I know that you also are relaunching your Evolutionary Astrology Intensive in May. Um, and I would love, before we wrap up, to hear a little bit more about that. And if our listeners are interested, what they'll be able to get out of it and where they can enroll. Yeah, this will be the eighth time that I'm teaching it. And I love teaching this course. It's a foundational course in the language, the building blocks of evolutionary astrology. So we covered the signs, the planets, the houses, and the aspects and planetary phases and start to fold in all these layers, you know, ultimately to the evolutionary astrology chart analysis technique, which is around Pluto and the lunar nodes. And there's um, a mix of pre-recorded lectures and then weekly live sessions where we talk about the material and get to know each other. And then it culminates with um, reading student charts and sharing stories. And I really love the community that forms around it. And it's just really like a deep inquiry into the spirit of the practice and like the real like evolutionary intention behind all the signs and planets and getting into this deeper kind of scorpionic um, dive into the 
practice. And this, I feel like, you know, I designed it to be a launching point to have a stronger relationship with astrology for the rest of one's life. Like that's really my hope for it. And I do also teach, um, like right now I'm teaching meteorite, which is a level two training, uh, that's like nine months for alumni of this. So I like to create opportunities after that to continue, um, to really build an intimate practice with astrology. And that, um, if you go to my website, monarchastrology.com and click the tab that says study, it will take you to that site. Love it. Thank you so much. I also have to say that I just watched a nature documentary on monarch butterflies and was blown away by the monarch. I could not, I, the layers, the levels, the orbit, the migration. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Every time I learn, like, I don't actually seek out information about monarch butterflies. Like I probably should, but every now and then people will tell me a new fact about them. And it's always like a synchronistic oracle for me. Like I learned that like butterflies, like DNA dissolves into this soup and like it reforms. And like the first time I learned that it was like exactly what I needed to hear at the time. So yeah, I think, I mean, butterflies are beautiful and symbolic and magical. And like, that's, there are no coincidences. It's like their behavior is unbelievable along with you know, how gorgeous and compelling they are as creatures. They're the way that they move through the world is like, uh, gives me goosebumps. It's like, it's inspirational. I should watch the documentary. It's on PBS. (laughs) I just recently became one of the viewers like you. I I have like a, you know, the $10 a month subscription so I could get unlimited nature documentaries. And I won feel finally like I get viewers like me. It's like every time they say that, I'm like, yeah, it's viewers like me. And then also (laughs) the nature documentary series they have has started in 1982. So it's just a lot of content. (laughs) Please enjoy. It is really (laughs) delightful. (laughs) Well, Sabrina, where can we find you um, on social media? Uh, How could we connect with you moving forward? So my website's monarchastrology.com. I'm Sabrina Monarch on Instagram, Sabrina underscore Monarch on Twitter. And I have a podcast, Magic of the Spheres. And yeah, I think as far as astrology readings go, lately my books have been closed and I cyclically open them. My mailing list is the best way to find out when my books open. I also do mentorship um, and coaching with people. and. Yeah, just love having, you know, doing these intensives and having relationships with the students that come through. Um, I really like to be available for answering questions um, and helping people learn astrology. Amazing. All right. Well, thank you so much. This is such a pleasure. You're the best. You're amazing. (laughs) Thank you, Melissa. (laughs) 